0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome. Uh, So, so incredibly excited and thankful that you're here and you are joining us this morning. Um, I'm Ryan, but people call me Riz. That's my nickname. And I, I mostly go by that. So don't feel weird, uh, even if I just met you or I haven't met you yet. You can just, met you yet, met me yet, whatever you want to say. Uh, my name is Riz, and um, I'm a church planning pastor here at Reality Honolulu. And uh, I am so humbled by God's grace and how he's brought us this far. Just so you can kind of know a little bit more about me, my wonderful, amazing wife is who is leading worship. Her name's Zoe. She's right in the back right there. So she's amazing. She's uh, Definitely held up my arms so much over these last several years. And then we have two kids Eva, she's in the four year olds, the pre K class, probably with a lot of your kids. And I have a son, Liam, he's 18 months old in the nursery. Um, And so that's us. And uh, this has been, if you know part of our story, this has been about a five and a half year process to get to this Sunday morning. And it's been something that God has really spoken to us about and answered prayers over and there's been much preparation getting to this point but if there's one thing that I want to testify this morning of standing up here is God's faithfulness and his goodness to build his church and uh, man we we didn't really do this we were just like okay God you're gonna do this and do that and we're just following behind what God is doing but very humbled and honored to be used by God in this way and so with my uh, with excitement and pleasure. For the first time ever, um, I want to say, open your Bibles up with me to the Book of Mark. Uh, as a church, we're going to be going through the Book of the Mark, uh, Book of Mark, this first season, verse by verse through it, the entire thing. Probably take us about a year. Just going to let you know, we go slow, but. Uh, but we, man, take it to heart, we, 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 we value the Word of God, and we value, we believe it's god breathed and God-inspired, and it's for teaching and correcting and rebuke and, and rebuke and training in righteousness. And so this morning, we're going to be teaching, uh, we're going to be studying Mark 1, 1 through 11, and the message is titled, The Good News About Jesus. So I'm going to be reading and teaching out of the New Living Translation, so my translation may be a bit different. Um, But here we go. Mark 1, verse 1 says this. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist for food he ate locusts and, and wild honey, Je, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I, so much greater than I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, and, I will, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. This is God's word. and you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for what you have in store for us this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given, us, given it to us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you desire to teach it to us this morning, to speak it to us, to, so that we can learn as your disciples, as your followers, what it means and how we ought to live in light of the truth of who you are. And God, if there's anything today that we ask is that you would anoint our time, that you would use me as your mouthpiece, that it would be your words that I speak and not my own, but that we would come away with knowing that the gospel is good news, that there is good news associated with the Son of God in the person of Jesus Christ, that you would... Have your way with us, Lord, that your will be done, your kingdom come in this building and in this city and on this island as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark, the book of Mark. The book of Mark, in a nutshell, is telling of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's written by Mark, or some would call him John Mark, and Mark is is known to be the secretary or translator of Peter, one of the disciples, and the book of Mark is believed to be actually Peter's eyewitness accounts of his time spent with Jesus, and so Mark took those eyewitness accounts, took the sermons that Peter had. All of the, the writings and the journaling that Peter, that Peter took notes when he was, you know, and that he wrote about as he, as he spent three years walking side by side with Jesus, Mark took that and he compiled and he wrote this book. And Mark is one of the four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are different accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And each of the gospels have a, a different way of telling the story. Or, or better yet, a different emphasis, or there's a, a, a different goal associated, or, or slightly a different slant on the way the stories are told for an intended purpose. And Mark was written primarily for a Jewish audience. Give, it was written, give or take, 30 years after Jesus' death, and it had, a very, it had a purpose. It was written with a specific purpose in mind and a specific audience in mind. And its purpose specifically was showing, more than even talking about Jesus, but showing Jesus' actions and his deeds and his interactions with those around him. The purpose was that Jesus Christ was shown to be the promised Messiah that was to come. The promised Messiah that for centuries Jews had been waiting for. And Mark is Telling the story of the three-year earthly ministry of Jesus. Starting in Galilee, northern Israel, making, it's making their way down to Jerusalem, where, where the story or the book comes to an end. But in Mark, in the story of Mark, in the gospel of Mark, in the written account that we have of Peter's eyewitness accounts, we get Jesus. I mean, we get him quickly, it is very fast-paced, it's very quick, um, it's very much like, like a movie, it's it's scene to scene, it's the shortest of the four Gospels, and, and you get Jesus right away. But in this short time, we see the wonderful, amazing, and incredible public ministry of Jesus. We see his miracles, we see his conversations, we see his interactions with the destitute and the prostitute and the leper, and we see Jesus interacting in very unique, specific, wonderful ways. And the book of Mark tells us maybe less about him and shows us him more indeed. And we get, as the reader of the book, to decide for ourselves: is Jesus the Messiah or not? Is he the son of God? Is he who he said he was? And Mark is making the case that yes, he is who he said he was, and this is why. Only the son of God can forgive sins. Only the the Messiah can heal the blind. Only the promised one can do this, that, and the other. And Mark tells this fast-paced, vivid story of this person, Jesus Christ, that walked in Israel these three years, that led up to his death and resurrection in Jerusalem. But the Gospel of Mark, what it does is it shows us that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the promised Messiah. And what Mark does is he chooses to leave out a few things that the other Gospels uh, have in them, specifically the start. If you you notice here, there's no discussion about where where was Jesus born? Where's his genealogy? Who is this guy? He leaves it out. It's not his purpose that is not mark's intention. He just wants to get specifically right into this person on the banks of the Jordan River with this guy John the Baptist in the wilderness. Mark just cuts right to cuts right to it. So anything in the life of Jesus till about he's 30 years old is not here. It's left out, but again, it's for a specific reason with a specific purpose. So, let's get into it stop talking. Stop giving you the intro and let's get into it. Verse 1, Mark tells us this thesis or the point of the book. He says, this is what the book is about. It's about the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. What this book does is it tells us the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for us To free us from sin so that we could be restored to God the Father. In 16 chapters and in a lot of verses, this is what he's telling us. And this is what the book of Mark is showing us. And specifically, we see here that Mark is going to try to show you that Jesus not only is the Messiah, he also is the Son of God. The Messiah to these first century Jews that would be reading this would have been waiting and anticipating for someone to come and save them. Or, or from, from the, at that time, it was the political and oppressive rule of the Romans. But all of Israel would have been anticipating the Messiah for hundreds of years. The Messiah would have been the one that would come to administer the rule of God on earth to rescue Israel from all its oppressors and all its troubles. And all of Israel was waiting for a victorious king that would come rule and reign and set all things right. And so knowing that, knowing that context that Israel was waiting for a Messiah, do you see the words that Mark says? I mean, this would have been the greatest and biggest hook that you could have written. Let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah. And it's good news. Every Jewish reader would have been like, what did you say? What, what are you saying? The Messiah is here. He came. He's, he's come. What's going on? It would have immediately continued them into the story. And the story, Mark's story with his intended purpose, go, gets right into it. It said, it began. He, he goes right into it. This is what my, my book's about. Let's start. Let me tell you. It says here, it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Again, due to his audience being first century Jews, he points to Old Testament prophecy that would have been very familiar with him from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And if you look in verse 2 of our text right now in Mark Mark chapter 1, verse 2, he, he says, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and I will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Mark brings in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which was written 800 years prior. A prophecy telling that there was one to come prior to the coming of the Messiah, prior to the coming of the Lord. This prophecy and Isaiah was suggesting that there was someone that needed to come first prior to the Messiah to proclaim his coming. Or in other words, to be a forerunner of the Messiah, to herald in the Savior's coming as imminent. There was one that would come. And then what Mark does, he's like, hey, 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 you remember that prophecy that was told 800 years ago in the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah? Well, it's answered, verse 4. He said, you know that messenger that was talked about? This, this messenger was John the Baptist. Mark 1, verse 4, check it out. He goes right into it. He says that prophecy from Isaiah is fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. This guy, John the Baptist, is who Isaiah was speaking of. He was the one that was to usher in the coming and anticipated Messiah. And then if you jump down to verse 6 in our text right now, it gives us a little bit more description of this rough and tumble John the Baptist, right? It says that John, this messenger, this prophetic messenger, was, his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate, he, his, for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, this, this guy's like a mountain man, like in the desert. For sure he smelled, 100%. He ate animals. He was wearing camel's hair. I mean, there's no showers. There's no soap. I mean, this guy's just out in the desert on the Jordan River, and he's proclaiming the coming of the Lord. He's a very unlikely messenger, right? This 800-year-old prophecy is fulfilled in this rough-and-tumble guy in the desert that's baptizing everybody. And if you go back to verse 4 real quick, it gives us a description of what this messenger that has fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy is doing. It says the messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness with his camel hair and all, and he preached that people would be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and, and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So what was happening in the wilderness was creating quite a buzz. I mean, obviously, there was no social media. There's no telephones. There's no internet. So this is like word-to-word mouth travel. And everyone from around central Israel... Jerusalem and the, out, out, the outermost regions right there is going and they're flocking to this guy that's just preaching this message and baptizing people. And, and people are traveling. The word of this man uh, and what he was saying and what he was doing was spreading. People are traveling all over. And John's message to them was that they were to repent of their sins and turn to God to be forgiven. Repent being that idea of an about face or a turning away from our sin and turning to God. And he's preaching this to anyone that comes and anyone that will listen. To turn from sin, turn from rebellion, and turn back to their God. And if they did that, what he would do is he would baptize them. He would immerse them in water to show as an outward display of that inward work or heart change that had happened or that it was an outward display of what the inward decision they were making as they repented and turned back to God. And many, it says, who came out responded to his meshes, his preaching. They came out, they heard what he was saying. They believed, they, re- they turned from their sin, they turned to God. And as Isaiah said, this was the voice in the wilderness. Many were inwardly and outwardly uh, displaying the change that was happening as they believed, as they repented, and as they turned back to God. And while the crowds are gathered, right? I mean, I mean I'm sure it's like hundreds of people, right? Everybody's hearing about this guy, what's happening. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. He's preaching about the Messiah coming. Let's go see him. They hear the word. They get baptized. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of just a big deal. But what happened was, is that as they were gathered there, as the scene was happening, it says in verse 7 of our text this morning that John announced, hold on, is pretty much what he says. I added that. Hold on. You think I'm cool? You think I'm I'm the thing you're coming for? It says, someone is coming who is far greater than I am. So much greater than I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Right? As incredible and as anointed John the Baptist was, right? This this incredible man that everybody's going to see. He says, don't look at me. Look to the one coming. I'm just the signpost. I'm just the guide. The coming attraction is not yet here. John was the road sign, per se, pointing ahead. Or if you like music, John was just the opening act. The headliner was not even there. The band had not even taken the stage for why you bought your ticket to come to the concert. He was just opening up. He was just prepping you for what is to come. And what Do- John does here is he says, stop, stop looking at me. Look to the one that's coming. But also what he did was he told of the value and the main difference of the one that was to come. You know, he's speaking of Jesus. He's speaking of the Messiah. He's speaking of the Son of God. And he's saying that Jesus, the Messiah, is so much greater than me, John. Even if you've traveled days to come see me, this one that's coming is far more important. And what John says is I'm not even worthy to stop to stoop down and tie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes, so to speak. Like, I mean, that is how much greater he is than I am. And the difference is, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize with you, uh, you with the power of the Spirit, with the power of God, with God himself. He will give you God himself. I have baptized you with water, but the one who is to come will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. No time goes on. Verse nine, look at our text this morning. So John says this, and then it says, one day, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The main attraction was here. The one who Isaiah prophesied about, the one who John the Baptist preached about, now had come on the scene. In the book of John, in the gospel of John, we also have this same account. And in John 1:29, I have it on the screen for you. It says this, of this very same scene. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than me, for he existed long before me. Everyone had come to see John, and John said, Stop, look, there he is. Isaiah prophesied about it 800 years ago. I'm the fulfillment of that prophecy. I've preached the gospel. You believed and turned to God. There he is. This is the Messiah. This is the one to come. I mean, think, put yourself in this scene. You're in the middle of the desert. There's a river, Jordan River, right? Remember, no no, like roads and buildings, maybe like a dirt road with a donkey. You're in the middle of the desert. You've come out to see John the Baptist. Maybe you've even been baptized yourself. You're waiting, you're wondering, you're in awe of what's happening already. And then all of a sudden, the man that John the Baptist is talking about is here. He gets in the water With John the Baptist, John the Baptist is is baptizing Jesus, all right, in the water. When he comes out of the water, the heavens open up. The sky, the above, opens up. I don't even know what that means, the heavens opening. But it opens, and a voice from heaven, creator God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, speaks down and says, this is my son whom I am well pleased you don't understand the significance we're going to get to that but your jaw would have dropped you you would have been like you would have been on sensory overload you're already undone that an 800 year prophecy has been fulfilled in john the baptist but you're still waiting for the messiah right okay you're, you're the messenger So you're telling me about him. i got to wait for him again. Then the Messiah, the promised one, comes on the scene. And not only that, the heavens open and God himself declares, this is my son. This is the one that you've been waiting for. I mean, can, can you imagine standing on the banks of the Jordan River as a Jew, thinking of Isaiah, seeing John, and now Jesus? You would have been utterly amazed prophecy had been fulfilled I mean doves are coming down (laughs) from heaven God is speaking and he and before everyone he's declaring that Jesus to be the son of God and the promised Messiah I mean for for Israel for Jews this was the same God that told their father Abraham they would make a great nation It was the same God that rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. It was the same God that was with them in the wilderness. It was the same God that brought them into the promised land, was now speaking about this man. And he said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. The same God now is speaking from heaven with authority, giving approval that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the divine son of God. I mean, think of a response of a normal baptism. Nowadays, it's, you know, cheers and hugs and pictures and Insta stories. That's what you're doing. If you're down at the beach and you're rejoicing with someone you know that gave their life to Christ and they're getting baptized, but in this moment, it would have been jaw-dropping and utter amazement. And, you know, not everyone at that, at that time believed. There was skeptics. There was those that were uh, not into this. But many were. Many saw that prophecy was fulfilled, and many believed that Jesus was truly the Son of God and the prophet, the promised Messiah. And so this is what the good news that Mark is speaking about is all about. In the first 11 verses of the book, he describes in a really profound, prophetic way, 800 years of Israel's history coming down to one moment in the Jordan River. And he does that at the beginning of the book. And that is the very reason why he can say that this book is about the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. But that truth or this good news wasn't, isn't only for Jews. It's for all mankind. It's for all of us. Because Jesus didn't merely come to free Israel from political rule. God had a much bigger rescue plan in mind when he sent his son. See, Jesus came to redeem, restore, and rescue all of humanity. He, forgave, he came to forgive everyone's sin. He came to give our sin. He came and died to free us from the power, penalty, and the effects of sin in our own lives, with the goal and intention to reunite us with the Father. Jesus came to do that. It wasn't just merely for Israel, and the way they thought Him, uh, the way that the Messiah was, they thought was supposed to come, but He came to actually die. Not as a victorious king, but a suffering servant. One that sacrificed his life in our place so that we wouldn't have to. He paid our penalty for us on the cross so that we wouldn't have to, so that we might be healed and set free and forgiven and be reunited with our Heavenly Father. The good news is that we are offered this. We're offered this freely and immediately to share in the finished work of the cross for ourselves. The good news that Mark is speaking about is that Jesus came to rescue us. And what we'll see throughout the entirety of the book of Mark is time after time of the wonderful, beautiful, powerful works of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And for those of us in this room that have believed, right? We have given ourself to Christ. We're Christians. We're followers. We're disciples of Christ. What this story, what this scene, what this first 11 verses should do for you is that you too should well up utter astonishment that the God that created everything sent his only son into this world. He stepped down into our mess For us. He came to rescue us. We needed saving. And God sent his son to save us. What it should do for us that have given our life to Christ is it should cause us to worship Jesus. There is good news that we have, Christian. Brothers and sisters, if you have been saved and redeemed and healed and if you are a new creation in Christ... There's something to worship over. There's God, God is so worthy to be praised for those things and adored for those things. And that should do it. As we're reminded of who God is and who Jesus is and who we are and what he did for us, it should cause us to worship God. For those of us that maybe we don't know Jesus in a personal faith way, I beg of you to keep coming and reading with us and studying with us the book of Mark. Because you will see this man, Jesus, and what he does. You will see how he interacts. You will see the miracles that he, um, that he performs. And I believe if you do that, if you, if you, if you read it, if you listen, You will need to decide for yourself who Jesus is to you. Do you believe that he's the Son of God? Do you believe that he is the promised one? Do you believe that he's the Savior? Do you believe he's the Son of God? But I believe that you will come to that conclusion when you actually see and hear and and, and taste who Jesus is. In light of the context, in light of the prophecy, in light of all that he did, this historical account of Jesus will come to life in your hearts. And you will see him. Just as many did on the riverbanks that day, as the promised Messiah, the Son of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. This is the good news that we can rejoice in today. The good news is in Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing in this world we need now is good news. You know that. You turn on the news, you look around you, it's horrible, it's bad, it's sad, it's depressing, it's fake news. What is news? This world needs hope. This world needs this world needs good news. And that good news is in the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And so today, as we worship a few more songs, we can, as a people of God, rejoice in who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That you loved us and you sent your son to die for us. That Christ, while we were yet sinners, you died. While we were enemies to you, you loved us enough to die in our place. And we see today, even if it's a small picture in the life of the first century Jew, we see the potency of it. We see how significant it was that you would come to forgive our sins. And so God, as we worship now, we want to worship you for who you are and what you've done. You are so worthy to be praised. The gospel of what you did on the cross and how you rose again is truly the best news. It's great news. And we as a people... I want to praise you for that news this morning. And so God, would you have your way with us? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.